0: The People's History of Kansas City podcast is supported by the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art, celebrating 30 years at the block party on Saturday, May 4th. Visitors can enjoy music, food trucks, exhibitions, and artist-led activities. Learn more at KemperArt.org.
1: Can I touch it? Yes. So this might sound um, naive, but
0: I feel like if I saw this, I I wouldn't first think that that was hair. That's right. But now that you've seen it, you will be looking from now on. There's no place in the world
1: like Leila's Hair Museum in Independence, Missouri. For a lot of folks, when they hear about a hair museum or hair work, a lot of different ideas might pop up. Before I went and visited Leila, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe the museum would be about the history of cosmetology or a large collection of wigs or hairy things. But what I found was far beyond any of that. Okay, so imagine large framed wreaths that are made up of different intricate flowers. Sometimes there's an old black and white photo in the middle, but the wreath of flowers and all the parts connecting them together are woven together strands of human hair. They're intricate patterns that look like lace or the types of designs that you see on doilies. Leila has jewelry, brooches, pins, bracelets, and necklaces that are all woven together The fiber, human hair. This might sound weird or gross to some people, but at least for me, once I saw all the things in the museum, I couldn't help but appreciate the beauty of all of them. They're like fine pieces of art. Each piece is so unique, so intimate. Before cameras, before genealogy databases, before any of that, people used hair as a way to remember each other. Behind each strand of hair is a person, and behind each hair piece, like the ones in Leila's museum, they're hair makers. But at one point, these mementos were disregarded, destroyed, and almost forgotten. This is A People's History of Kansas City, a podcast from KCUR 89.3. I'm Suzanne Hogan. A person lives as long
2: as they are remembered. This is my history. We look at it as it's gorgeous, it's sentimental, it's a piece of someone. On this episode,
1: how a Missouri woman obsessed with hair preserved these artifacts and in turn created the largest collection of hair work in the world. So Leila Cahoon is originally from Marceline, a small town in
0: north central Missouri, which is also, fun fact, the hometown of Walt Disney. I graduated from high school in 1949 and got a job in the dime store. But this hairdresser kept coming in. She had her nails polished. She always had her hair styled. She was in a white uniform, white shoes, white hose dressed every day like that. At the
1: dime store, Leila would sell this hairstylist stationery that she would use to write to all her boyfriends. Over time, this hairstylist made quite an impression on Leila, and she decided that she wanted to be a hairstylist too. It was the cosmetology profession, and I couldn't even spell it. But Leila worked hard and eventually became a cosmetologist. It's been a lifelong career that she's truly loved every part of. Making people
0: feel good is something she's very passionate about. That's part of our business, making them look good and feel good, because when you look good, you always feel good. Leila
1: remembers one day in particular. It was 1956. She took off from the salon and went to the plaza in Kansas City so she could buy some new Easter shoes. On the way to the shoe shop, she looked inside an antique store window, and that's when she saw it.
0: And here was this little hair. Arrangement.
1: It was a small gold-framed piece about the size of the palm of your hand. And inside of the frame was a little wreath made of beads and brown flowers. And all the flowers in the wreath were woven together strands of human hair. On the back of the frame were the words Mama and Papa, and a little note written in German. Leila
0: had never seen anything like it. And she kept thinking, how did they make that? I kept thinking about that as I sat down to try on shoes, and the poor shoe salesman, he had about 20 pair of shoes out and nothing was suiting me because my mind was on that little hairpiece back there in that antique window. And I kept thinking, what if somebody gets to it before I do, before I can get back there? And I got up and ran out of that shoe store. That was the beginning of what you could call a lifelong obsession. My husband says it all. He says that that's the most expensive piece in the whole place because look what it started. <laughs> From then on out, Leila started finding more and
1: more hair pieces at different antique shops, and she would just have to have them. She says it was almost
0: like they were finding her. And when I had too many under the beds and, and couldn't in the closet and couldn't take care of them anymore, I had to find a room to put them in. And not only that, but I wanted to share them with people because it was so interesting. And so that was how my museum got started. Fast forward
1: about 60 years, and Leila, who is fashionable as ever, has nearly 750 hair wreaths on display in her museum and about 2,000 pieces of hair
0: jewelry. And she just keeps collecting. In fact, I've got a room I'm... Uh, starting to fill up. I've got another 150 or so that I haven't really told my husband about.
1: <laughs> Leila has had visitors come to her museum in Independence from all over the world. The visitors are hair enthusiasts, curious passerbys, and celebrities. She recently had a visit from the Prince of
0: Darkness himself. Ozzy Osbourne. was here. I had to make up my mind. I knew that I wanted a piece of his hair from my famous wall. And I had laid a bracelet out, and I asked him to remove his hat, and he did. And I took out my scissors and comb and cut a piece of his hair right up the back of his head. Did he notice? Oh, yes, he knew. But I didn't want to take a chance of asking him and him tell me no. I wanted his hair, so I got it.
1: Leila is so passionate about every piece in her collection that she can't believe so
0: many people, even antique dealers, haven't seen the value in them. I'd find a frame empty in an antique shop and I'd say, what did you do with the hair? And they look at me and say, how did you know there was hair in there? Well, those things I know, I can spot them. And I asked, what did you do with the hair? And they said, I was going to burn it because people died of the plague and they had all these diseases. I said, you're not going to catch a thing from that hair. So when you destroy it, it's gone forever. And that's somebody's family. No, it should be preserved. It should be put out on the wall where other people can share it.
1: Some of the hair wreaths in Leila's collection are family trees from the mid-1800s.
0: I normally start with this one with 150 names on it. Leila points to a large framed hair wreath in the front parlor. And each one of the flowers has a piece of black tape. See the ink? Uh Uh-huh. So it corresponds with the name so you know exactly whose hair was used.
1: While folks didn't see the value or misunderstood these pieces, Leila has been preserving them, and she's been building a following.
2: Her interest in these objects helped actually literally save them from being destroyed. Helen Shoemaker is author of the book
1: Love Entwined, The Curious History of Hair Work in America. She teaches history at Miami University in Ohio. She first visited Lee Idlas Museum back in the 90s when she was researching her book. Her first impressions? It's just a lot of hair. It's a lot of hair. Helen says when she was researching her book, there wasn't a whole lot of scholarship on hair work. So going to Leila's museum was an incredible experience. She says Leila has turned into an important keeper of hair history. Everything has its history, even hair art. So let's dive into it. Human hair has been used as a medium, at least in European history, from as early as the Middle Ages. Helen says in those times, it was mostly used as a way to memorialize the dead. But then in the mid 1700s,
2: a big shift happened. Roughly around um, the age of Napoleon in Paris, it was a fashion item with the sentiment attached. So the real idea was that you would have the hair of a loved one or your own hair worked fairly elaborately into jewelry that you would wear.
1: Making and wearing hair for fashion starts to show up in the U.S. in the late 1700s, too. Then the Victorian era, the 1800s, was the heyday of hair art and hair work in America. It was super common for hair pieces to be given between friends and relatives as a token of love and friendship. Or for folks to make their own hair wreaths. Professional hair workers, men and women, would advertise in magazines that they could make custom pieces for order, and there were frequently instructional how-to articles published in women's magazines so people could make different types of things at home. Helen says it was a popular hobby for white middle-class women of the time. These were deeply sentimental pieces, made to help people keep close with one another and to help a person's story, their memory,
2: and legacy live on, even after their death. So they often talk about, you know, a person lives as long as they are remembered. And what better material to do that with than a person's hair? Hair does not, once it's been separated from the body, it does not necessarily fade. It doesn't really change in its appearance. And as her collection shows, for centuries, it will be largely unaffected by time, which is exactly why... Victorians saw hair as a living link between themselves and those who had passed.
1: But that deep appreciation for hair, hair workers, and their art was short-lived.
2: So I think hair work um, waned in popularity around uh, the 1890s. And then by the end of World War I, hair work largely drops out of what you could call the kind of popular culture scene of the United States.
1: Helen says there are lots of reasons for why this happened, social and political changes, and with that came changes in culture and fashion. But the other
2: major reason for its decline in popularity was the discovery of germs. The understanding that cleanliness can control infectious diseases. So even though this has very little to do with hair work, the association of bodily debris and germs and the ways in which people began to think of cleanliness in the home change. And these pieces that were once adored and decorated homes and bodies quickly
1: become miscategorized and seen as unsanitary or gross. Helen says she thinks there are two main reasons why they were underappreciated.
2: They're very, very individualized. They're literally made of somebody's hair. And so they're a kind of uneasy form of decor or jewelry. The other is that it was about women. In the 19th century, it, hair work was associated with women. The femininity of the objects, I think, also made them a undervalued antique artifact.
1: That is, until people like Leila Cahoon come along.
2: She understood the ways that these items would be important in the future, and she was exactly right. There are a whole bunch of reasons why hair work was a valuable artifact to collect in historical terms. It's an object about women's lives. It represents individual experiences um, in a way that I think we crave, in the 21st century. Maybe that's why
1: Leila Cahoon has developed a following at the Hair Museum in Independence, and through her work repairing and restoring pieces in the collection. As she's done that, she's been reverse engineering them to see exactly how they're made. In 2015, she published a how-to book called Hair, The Lost Art of Hair Wreath Making, which teaches people how to do 35 different weaving techniques. And in many ways, she's pushing this art form into the future.
0: I'm tickled to death to see all of you here. You have no idea.
1: Earlier this summer, Leila hosted the Victorian Hair Workers International Convention. About 15 women came from all over the country. There were lectures about history and demonstrations on how to do different hair weaving techniques. Bridget Grams helped Leila organize it. She has encouraged me to grow in ways I never thought. Bridget first attended one of Leila's hair wreath making classes 10 years ago. After that, she was hooked. She lives in Pennsylvania and is now the restoration specialist for hairpieces in the Museum of the Very Strange, a traveling oddities museum. She's part of this growing community of
2: 21st century hairmakers. We look at it as it's gorgeous, it's sentimental, it's a piece of someone. The thought of running your hand your hand through your lover's hair, the lock of hair uh, belonging to your child. It's a chance to hold on to that person. Every strand of hair is one more second, one more breath, one more word that they're still with you on this earth. all well, well set? Just take the hair, wrap it around the needle, and it should be hanging down.
1: With a set of knitting needles, some wire, and long chunks of hair, Leila gives a demonstration on how to make a hair flower.
0: Anchor it with your fingers so that you're holding it tight. While
1: Bridget walks around the room helping people like me Try to figure this thing out.
0: Wrap it
2: once around and it drops down Uh between the two. Yeah. Twist, same direction, Uh, remember which one.
1: And man, it's not easy. It really helps you appreciate the attention to detail and craft that went into making these things. By the time I finish my hair flower, it mostly looks like a disaster. Though, I'll say it was fun to make. Brenda Zack, who came from Portland, is sitting at another table. She brought her own tools and her flower looks perfect. There is a learning curve. You have to get your fingers to do the actions. <laughs> it takes a minute. The hair worker scene of the 21st century is small, but at an intimate convention like this, it feels like a gathering place, a scene of like-minded makers. It's a place, thanks to Leila, where people have been able to connect. I
0: think you're doing this repetitive kind of zen movement. I do tell people it's my form of meditation. Yeah.
1: Gina Icavelli traveled from South Carolina for the convention. She taught a workshop on how to make hair braiding tables, like the type she uses to make her hand braided hair bracelets. She has a business selling them on Etsy, and they are stunning. She says for her, being a hair worker in the 21st century is
2: spiritual. It's going back to this kind of Buddhist concept of you know, memento you remember you will die, you know, thinking a little bit on death each day, not dwelling there, of course, because that's super morbid and nobody wants to think about any of their loved ones dying, but just realizing that life is precious. It's an
1: idea that comes up time and time again. Every strand of hair in Leila's museum held its place on someone's head. It was a part of someone's life. And then it was crafted by someone's hands. And now it lives on here hair worker Bridget Gramps. There's
2: probably over 100,000 people represented in this collection in one spot under one roof. There's no place like it in the world.
1: Leidle is proud to have the only hair museum in the world, here, just outside of Kansas City. She doesn't know why someone else hasn't opened another one. But either way, she's proud to be a part of keeping this art form alive by displaying her large collection and her love of hair work to generations to come. People's History of Kansas City is a production from KCUR 89.3, made possible with the support of the Midwest Genealogy Center, which can help you learn more about the history of Kansas City through a searchable version of the Kansas City Star dating back to 1880. Learn more at mymcpl.org slash genealogy. Do you know of someone who's preserving our history in a really unique way, like Leila Cahoon? Tell us about it. You can give us a call and leave a message, 816-235-8930, 816-235-8930, or you can send us an email, People's History KC At kcur.org. I've been loving all the ideas and stories that we've been getting so far, so please, please keep them coming. If you missed our episode about an endangered German dialect in Coal Camp, Missouri, or the story behind the oldest continuously operating Latino service organization in the country, please go back and listen. And if you like what you hear on these episodes, feel free to share them with your friends, or better yet, write us a review. Our team is made up of Sylvia Maria Gross, Mike Russo, Anne Kniggendorf, and Salisa Kalakal. We had help from CJ Genevieve, Cody Newell, Krista Henthorne, and Tracy Bauer. Our theme music is by Primary Color, and we also had tracks this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Suzanne Hogan. Take care, and thanks for listening.